Well, hello there, and welcome to How You Play the Game, as I do my best Ron Burgundy, or I guess maybe even a, a touch of, uh, there's even a scene from Home Alone 2 with Marv doing that, I think, in New York. I, third podcast third, in a row. Uh, where I got to mention Home Alone 2? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to How You Play the Game. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the second episode of the month of March, the year 2018. Across the way, the producer-engineer of this episode, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, welcome. What's going on? Oh, nothing much. I'm here. I'm ready and willing to go. All right. Well, then... Let's do it. Okay. Leroy Jenkins. How are you? Oh, I'm just tired. Yeah. Uh, it's Long it, day. You know, getting up early is tough. And Like at 11 o'clock? Well, for the... me, it was nine. Whoa. Yeah, that's unheard of that's, for me. That's, no, yikes. It never happens. I know. Usually you're at, what, 10, 30, 11? It depends on when the cat wakes me up. Okay. She has a new procedure where she likes to wake me up two, sometimes three times. Over during the, the night? During the night just to get fed. So I have to get, like, usually the first one's at, like, 4 a.m. You're such an enabler. I, I really am. Now, I've gotten better in that I have... You uh, wear noise-canceling headphones No, I'm not, I'm not that smart. <laughs> when Now, when she wakes me up the first time, I give her a whole can of food. So she fills up very quickly, and I usually she doesn't bother me the rest of the night at that point. That's usually. Good. Okay. But we're still in our experimental phase. All right. So. Keep me posted. Oh, I will. You'll get a dissertation later. Great. Yeah. I'm sure you're looking forward to reading it, and that's a blatant lie. Anyway, uh, we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, Later in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, some topics in baseball, which uh, is right around the corner with uh, spring training already underway and uh, the regular season uh, just a few short weeks away from, from starting. Uh, so we wanted to get into that and try and uh, address some of the issues that have been coming up with, with regard to that. But first, obviously, we've got to start with uh, the current events in sportsmanship in, in uh, this fortnight in sportsmanship. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm tired. Uh, you're, ex- you're excused. I've been excused. Yes. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you and I each have uh, a separate topic to talk about mm-hmm. in this. So um, let's start with um, mine, since it's a little quicker, since there's not a lot of evidence to sort through. It's just kind of a quick quick hit. Sure. That's the story of um, J.R. Smith from the Cleveland Cavaliers throwing soup yeah. at an assistant coach. How about that, huh? And getting a one-game suspension from How the team. How about that? Now, what's crazy about it is that First of all, when he was suspended, all that came out was it was due to conduct detrimental to the team. Then it came out that he threw soup. So it got more specific right. each time? And then... Or soup spiff? Soup spiff? I can't even do it. Yeah, soup spiff? Yeah, sure. That's that's not a word that I will ever say I'll again. never say that again that's either. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> You've been atoned of your sins, okay? <laughs> Hey, you're uh, training for yes, that. Yes, exactly. Thank so, you. yeah, this is I feel pra- honored. Yeah, this is practice. <laughs> um, but in in the aftermath, no additional details have come out. So he returns from the one game suspension, and he's like not talking about it at all. So, like, they even asked him like stupid questions to get him to talk about it, and he wouldn't even answer that. Like, someone asked him, "Do you remember what kind of soup it was?" <laughs> and he says, "Honestly, I don't remember." <laughs> Which is. Quite funny White when you bean, think of it. minestrone. Yeah. Uh, I think it was more vegetable, like an Italian wedding. noodle. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly wasn't lentil. I mean, we did, know the, that. Did, yeah. the, did the coach like the flavor of the soup? We're, we'll have to ask him. But, uh, I mean, just the fact that he won't elaborate. You're nobody. Everyone's closed-lipped on this. There's no elaboration on this. Um, Which almost makes it more of a big bigger deal than it should be. Right. You can, you can right? really put this behind you if you just come out in front of it and say... What caused you to do that? Exactly. Did you talk it over? You answer the questions. You go through that one media session, and, and then, then it's gone. It. You're right. You know, now it's not gone. Right. So I mean, people are still speculating. Right. To me, it just it furthers the argument that professional basketball in the NBA is nothing short of a soap opera, and it is. It's just not getting better. 
I mean, the sport mm. in itself has a big problem in that there's not a lot of parity. It's usually the same two teams competing for a championship at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And the people, the athletes who are playing the game are some of the biggest babies and immature human beings mm-hmm. that that we can put on stage. You know, these, these stories of soup throwing and, you know, a rise in technical fouls. And, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, this, the, the list goes on. Right. Between the drama of, of of players switching teams and you know it's, it's just uh I just I'm there's a reason why I do not follow the sport much. It's a shame because it's know? a really fun basketball is fun a great sport. sport. It's an entertaining sport. It's a mm-hmm. fun sport. When I used to go to college basketball games, I would be into it. Like mm-hmm. like again, I'm not following the sport the same way that I might follow baseball, where I follow the ins and outs of the of the front office and now, stuff not, like that. Not but, to cut you off, but would you follow? Would you sooner follow college basketball than professional? No, I would probably follow professional before I would follow college, just because in in a professional sport, there's more organization. There's more of a rhyme and a reason as to how the, the, the game is played from the standpoint of the league. Um, in college sports, you have a lot of that like non-conference play where you basically get to pick whatever teams you want to play outside of your own conference. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then the selections of who gets to play in the, the larger tournaments do not come down to a lot of who wins what and finishes where it's, there's a lot of at-large bids that that go I out, see. you know. But that does, but that, but does that change the viewing experience? At it all? doesn't change the viewing experience. It doesn't change. I mean, what, to the layman, it, right, it, would, no. it would be just look like a basketball. Exactly. Game. No, when if you if you take that out and just look at this in a vacuum of watching the sport in itself from the from the the first tip until the last buzzer, mm-hmm. the sport of of college basketball is. One million times more entertaining than than professional basketball, um, but when you but we can't. I feel like there's less grandstanding, right? In, well, in, well in, especially depending upon where you go to watch. More of an that, academic, you know. I like like if you watch like a lower level Division One game, like like a like a Patriot League game, mm-hmm. you see a lot more teamwork. You see the way that the sport was meant to be played, right. uh, or an Ivy League game for that matter, you know, something right. like that. You know, those those games are so much fun to watch. And I think they're more fun to watch than um, some of the major conferences with guys who clearly are, you know, one and dones. You know, they're there Mm -hmm. to play one year of college basketball and then they're going to go pro. Right. You know, because then you get into so many other soap opera-esque arguments. Because I guess it's more, I guess it's, I guess the the lower level college basketball, like Division One and all those. And then, then Divisions Two and yeah, Three and whatnot. Yeah. I feel like those divisions, you know, it sort of strikes a balance between stardom mm-hmm. and textbook basketball. I would agree with that. I would playing, agree. Playing, you know, you, you don't see the grandstanding right. you would in the upper leagues. No, I would agree with that. I would agree so, with that. I, I don't know. I don't watch it very often either. Right. For, for for the same reasons, um, but when a good game of basketball is on, I'll watch. Right. You know, it, and right. it's entertaining. Well, I'll tell you this too. Like if I'm out at the bar and there's a game on, like you know, because a lot of these games, especially like West Coast games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're not starting until very very late. Right. Even even on like Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. Like like I I think I think we were at the bar last week and it was a Sunday night and uh, the Knicks were playing. I want to say they were playing the Kings mm. out in Sacramento. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, it's a Sunday night, you know, and, and this team from the East Coast is playing on the West Coast. They probably want to put it at a time when people can watch it. No, they're, th- that was a 1030 tip. Yeah. Eastern time, you know. So, uh, you know, so anyway, the, the, the point of the story I was going to make was if I'm at the bar and I'm looking up and the game is on and it's a close competitive game, you, you'll pay attention. Right. You know, but you just you don't go out of your way for it the same mm-hmm. way that you might go out of your way for for other games. Hmm. You know, um, March Madness obviously has that that flair to it as well. Right. You know, so there's anyway, the 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 sport in itself is, you know, like many other sports, it has its flaws. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know, I think that basketball you know, still has a ways to go in catching up to a sport like baseball. Um, 
but it is what it is. And, mm. you know, it's just, it's just unfortunate that based upon this instance with, with J.R. Smith that we're highlighting yet again one instance of this immature, these immature actions that, that detract from the progress that the sport is making. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so that's that one. Okay. So, so, so shame on you, J.R. Smith, for wasting soup. Yeah, you know, it's could have been good soup. There, there, there are kids who would die for that soup. I like soup. I, I love soup. You know, the other thing too is as I'm as I'm going over the story, I'm thinking, how many different soup references and soup jokes can I make here? Obviously, you can do soup Nazi. Oh, from the from, from Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah, uh, you can do the the Billy Madison uh, soup joke from the beginning of the movie where he's speaking gibberish. And his dad goes, eat your soup. Oh, and yeah, then, right. And then yep. Carl goes. At the big dinner table. Yeah. Goes, yeah. It's, good, it's good soup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or you can do the Star Wars reference. I don't know if you know this one from the from the, the lore. I believe the character's name was like Danic Jericho in the cantina. And he's the guy who has the, like, looks like the hookah stick coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you ever read like some of the. Lore There's a like, whole backstory yeah, on him exactly. in the expanded universe. Right. In 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 the customizable card game, uh the the his character could yeah, as I push you push your glasses <laughs> in the uh, customizable card game. <laughs> the idea was that he would quote unquote eat the soup of other players, which is a way of basically being like like a vampire sucking his blood and killing it, you know. So I guess that's a that's a that's a a journey after the podcast is recorded. Yeah. To uh, do all that. Yeah. But anyway. I feel better now knowing that I made the soup references. You're, if you have good more, at, you're good at making very specific, well, anecdotal. I I, I remember a lot anecdotal. of useless stuff. You really do. Really doesn't help anybody really, anywhere. <laughs> just just really like not life or death. No, you know it's almost like you know what it's like. Remember the Family Guy episode where uh, Family Feud comes to town? Yeah, and. Uh, the, and the question that Peter has to answer, I forget, something you'd like to receive as a gift, and they're all saying, like, money, car, you know, all these mm-hmm. types. And Peter goes, well, my family seems to think that money's a good answer, so I'm going to go with that one flute that Captain Picard played in that one <laughs> yeah. episode of Star Trek. <laughs> right. Show me Picard's flute! And it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> and it just has the one next to it. Peter, how did you know that? I was in the survey. Right, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, Perfect. Yeah. So, anyway... Let's move on to your examples. Yeah. So I had a I have a live example that Ooh. I I witnessed. It must it must be our birthday. Exa- I have two examples. I'm excited. Um so I went with a buddy of mine to uh, a concert in Philadelphia uh last week at the Kimmel Center. The the Philadelphia Orchestra was playing Tchaikovsky's fifth uh sixth symphony. And um while I was watching the the um the performance. Uh-huh. One of the uh, violists was. She was looked like she was playing. She knew what she was doing. Right. Obviously, she's a professional, just like the other eighty musicians on stage. Um, Hopefully, all union members. I hope so. In the first row, okay, crosses her legs while playing, like you know, with one leg over the other, right. like she's sitting casually, leaning back in her chair, playing her instrument. And we were taught as, and for those of you who are listening, you know, you got to have good posture when you're playing an instrument. We were all taught that growing up. Um, and I don't know if any of you, who, any of our listeners who are play, who play instruments or who at one point played an instrument or musically. Sing or, or anything, sing. Do anything really musically. Right. You know, we're taught that we have to keep our shoulders back, shoulders down, sitting up, you know, sitting mm-hmm. or standing up straight. And here we have this professional musician leaning, slouching in her chair, playing in the middle of this technically difficult passage. Um, really kind of irked me a little bit. At one, as, a, as an educator, and we're both musicians mm-hmm. and educators by trade, you know, uh, seeing that to me kind of sends a bad message to, to, to people who are watching who may also be students in the audience. Um, but to other professionals, right? You know, you're representing our us by performing, just like any other sport. You know, it's like not unlike how Robinson Cano trots down the 
the, the first, first baseline base, yeah. after he hits something he knows he's going to be out for anyway. Right. He doesn't do the hustle. Right. You know, this is the this and when sort you say of, do the hustle, you're talking about not hustling, the dance, not the dance. Okay, not I just want to make dance. sure. Right. Okay. But but you know you 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 move every time you're out of the box. You know, and this sort of is this. It sort of reminds me of that situation. It's almost akin also to the idea. You know, we've talked about this before. How you know athletes are always on stage right and and you are whenever you're outside the confines of your the four walls of your house mm-hmm. you are being observed in some capacity you're being watched you're being you know people are, are for lack of a better term judging you or right um you know and one false move could prove to be the difference between your reputation remaining solid and stellar and mm-hmm. being incredibly poor. And it just takes one person to see you. Mm-hmm. And and of course you know? now obviously there are some room there's some room for interpretation, you know, like if of you're, course. you know you're waiting in line for something and somebody bumps into you and you know and you say, "Oh, sorry, excuse me." And then someone's like, you know, that person gets mad at you like it's your fault and it's really not your fault, mm-hmm. and, you know. I mean, then people right. start saying, "Well, whose fault was it? Whose fault is it anyway?" which right. was the Firestone Tire spin-off show of who lines it anyway that's a reference back to the late 90s wow me me and my references that nobody gets and no doesn't I mean, help me at all i i get i get maybe three quarters of them that's actually high i know for, for most people so I you know. should probably see a doctor or or get a medal or get a, <laughs> the olympics are over man we did I, that show already, i know yeah you know? but but anyway the you know just the the point being this violist mm-hmm. seemed to forget that She's being watched. Right. She's and not pe- just practicing on her own. Exactly. People are people are judging her. Now, mm-hmm. maybe some people aren't aren't as specifically noticing her to the degree that you are, but you are. Yeah. And you're there. Right. You know, there and I mean, and, I doubt more than half I I probably me and one other person may have noticed her. Right. But you know, still, she wasn't sitting like that for the whole time. Right. You know, it was for let's just like a, like a minute and a half or a couple minutes before she adjusted her posture again. And was maybe she, she realized she was not sitting be. correctly and she changed. Or maybe she wasn't feeling well and she maybe. was kind of trying to grind See, her way through it. And again, you know? this has, that's the interpreta- interpretive aspect right. of it. We don't know, but from a from a from an outside looking in, right? It looked like she was just taking not it easy, caring. Cadillacking yeah. along, yeah. you know. Um, so it's an I, interesting, it's a really an interesting argument the more you think about it, right. you know, because we have these different sides of whether or not, you know, whose interpretation is correct and right. we'll never really know. Right. It's not like we're going to run into that violist tomorrow right. and say, Hey, I enjoyed your concert. By the way, what was up with you crossing your legs? Right. You know? Exactly. So, um, that was the bad example. Okay. I've got a good example. All now. right. So at the end of the concert. Uh, typically, you know, the musicians put their uh, music back in their folders. They put it back in their bag. They all, you know, they exit the stage and, you know, they disband, right. so so to say, after the after the applause. So this six year old or seven year old kid is down in the orchestra section, okay. like like the seating section, right? With like his, near the near the stage, near the yeah. stage okay. with his dad, and he's asking the bass players, "Can I?" Can I can I see your instrument? Right. Can can you know? Do do you have a couple minutes to talk? Yeah, or some something like that. Right. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, some most of the bassists either ignored him or or didn't hear him, or the ones that acknowledged him said, "I'm sorry, you know, I got to go. It's late, you know." Uh, you know, and you know what? They're they're probably tired. It's the end of the night. They're bit you know. They're at they're, work. They're, you they're know? at work, right? So everyone leaves except this one bass player who puts his music away and he turn he takes he grabs his bass he walks down the stairs into the orchestra and says to the kid have at it wow in his tuxedo and everything just have fun that's amazing and so the kid the the father hoists the kid up and right. he starts plucking the strings and He's 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 just having a blast, right? And it looked like the kid had issues. Okay, like yeah. he wasn't full. He wasn't. He wasn't. Um, he, there was definitely he could have had a disability. Yeah, there okay. he was definitely uh, um, differently abled. Okay, um, and the kid was having a blast playing, it. and the dad was like, "Thank you so much." You know, it and it just took two minutes. Yeah, right. So that really made me feel. 
great. Right. You know, that, right. that, you know, this guy is taking time out of his schedule in his tuxedo and everything when he could be packing up and leaving the venue, you know, going to the bar maybe for right. a drink yeah. or something. He takes his time out of his, he takes time out of his personal, you know, once the gig is over to, to help to do this, this kid. Yeah. So that, you know, I, again, this isn't sportsmanship from a traditional standpoint, but it, it kind of can be. And I totally agree. Because, I totally agree. You know, this is a performance, and now he's taking the he's changing the context. He's saying, "Okay, I'm going to make it personal." That's so the, he goes he take goes out of his way. It's the equivalent of you know a player coming off the field. Someone says, "Real quick, can I have your autograph?" Right, and he says, "You know what? I got time to sign a quick autograph rather right. than just blowing the kid take off. a picture." Yeah, you know, and because you're going to make this kid's day, right? You know, that kid will be a fan of yours for life. Yeah, he'll never forget. That. Oh, and I'm sure this kid won't forget playing yeah. this professional's bass. Like, I mean, then I'm thinking, I want to go up. And right, play I know, his right? Bass. Can I play your bass next? No, go no. away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, yeah. yeah I well, guess well that, that's but that's I a different that's reason. Fair. That's because you forgot to wear pants, right? So you know, <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. But but I think it it's just a tremendous act. I think it was it was great. Um, you know, it was it was like maybe it wasn't even two minutes. Yeah. I think it was it was probably not even a minute. And and it just just that small amount of time is all that was needed. The only thing that I like to play devil's advocate. The only thing I could think of that might cause a musician to not do that is the idea of letting another person near. Your instrument, uh, you know, yeah, when no, I understand. when you've got you've you've invested such a large amount of money, this is your livelihood, and right. you really can't afford to let someone you don't know near your instrument, right? Which I totally understand, right? Totally get it. Um, and to be completely honest, I would not have faulted all of the bass players mm-hmm. from not letting the kid do that if that was the reason. And we don't know their reasoning. Exactly. It could have been really it could have, they could have very well if they had more time, right. they may have well have, but but I think I think it was a combination of not be, not wanting to touch the instrument or with just having right. to leave. Right. Um but but um it was really something. But and you know the other point to, then too to to counteract the the counter argument mm-hmm. is to say you have the ability to you know set the boundary with the kid. You know, and say, yeah. look, I'll go out of my way to let you, you know, have right. a look at this. You know, yeah. you know, maybe say, look, you know, I can't, you know, I can't let you do this, this, or this. But right. if you want to do this, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and the kid was just plucking the strings. Yeah, if all the you want to do strings. is pluck the strings very gently, yeah, be my guest. Right. Oh, the kid was on cloud nine. Exactly. He loved it. Exactly. And it was maybe thirty seconds. Right. And that, that's it. That's, that's all it took. And, and the and father then, said, yeah. "Thank you," and he was on his way. Yep. You know that that's. That's you know that so that's my good example good. Good. of sportsmanship. I, like that. I yeah. like that. This has been another episode of this fortnight in sportsmanship. <laughs> I just sang brand power <laughs> the, the, the brand power theme. Man, we're tired. Uh, I love those commercials. Yeah, yeah, they're so generic. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's let's talk about the the topics that we wanted to hit on in in this episode sure. as we approach the beginning of the 2018 uh, Major League Baseball regular season, mm-hmm. uh, which is supposed to start on the 29th of March. A little early. A little this year, early. Huh? Well, it's early because of the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, what happened was, you know, it used to be. 162 games in 180 days. Okay. Okay. They've added four additional off days because the players bargained for the fact they said we want more off days in order to, you know, heal and and not be so stressed physically from this this very tumultuous schedule, you know. It's a it's, long season. It's a long season. It's a marathon. It is a grind. So you know that was that was a big point in their bargaining when they went back to the you know to try and get a new CBA. So as a result of that, they decided hmm. to back the season, the start of the season up to that Thursday, rather than extend the season because they didn't want the season to go like the postseason to end any farther down than it already is. Like usually, the the game seven of the World Series, depending upon how the calendar falls, 
sometimes leaks into November ever so gently, and they don't right. want that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this year, Game Seven would fall on like Halloween night. Okay. So, but the, you know, they don't they don't like baseball going into November. Mm-hmm. You know, if it happens to go to November first, like not a big deal. November second, all right, you're cutting it close, but that's it. You know. Yeah. Um. So the point being that that's how they had to change huh. change that. But don't but don't managers give some of their players off every they, so often? They do, but is but, this more of a forced like is this more yes. this is more league wide? Right. This is a these are these are basically additional off days built into the schedule for each team okay. that allows them <clears throat> that flexibility even more so than they would get from their managers who decide right. to give players days off. Okay. It doesn't make the manager have to do additional work into trying to figure out how fresh are my guys and can I run them out so there. So four additional off days? Correct. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, right. that the the start of the season is approaching. It'll be on a Thursday this year. Okay. Um, we wanted to ta- uh, tackle a couple of different topics that uh, kind of fall a little bit outside the realm of the sport that are more sportsmanlike related. Um, the first topic we wanted to talk about, because it's becoming so much more prevalent each off season, the issue of steroids and PEDs with regard to whether or not players linked to them should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. It's a it is a it's a mm. long lasting debate about that because because of they're the tainted the, the sport is the, their records are tainted right. it's they didn't do it the right way they basically cheated do we let cheaters into our our hall of fame the high mm. give them the highest honor of the sport and uh i think one of the, i mean logic would dictate that the answer would be no but the problem is that it, well, first of all, it's twofold. First of all, the way that they're voted in is by writers who all have different viewpoints. So it's not like right. it's just one guy or a small committee of people who are determining whether you know who are the best to get in. Now there are there are hundreds of writers who who submit their ballots each winter to to try and vote for these Hall of Famers. Hmm. Um, the second argument is how do we not know that there aren't steroid users who are already in the Hall of Fame. You know, so, yeah, did we so set it wouldn't a precedent. be retroactive. Right. We can't, you know, we can't, you can't say out, you're right. You know, the biggest I mean, this this wasn't that big of an issue from the start because the guys who were clearly linked to it were not getting the necessary votes to consider it. You know, your Barry Bonds, your your Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, you know, these right. guys are all not getting in from that standpoint. Now, they, their their numbers continue to rise, so it's possible they might get in eventually. But for the most part, from the time that they started being eligible, their numbers weren't near the necessary 75% of the vote to be elected to the Hall of Fame. The problem is that a couple of years ago, Mike Piazza got in. Now, Piazza did not, per se, have the direct link to the steroids. There was, there was suspicion, there were some accusations, but there was never a real direct link between the two. So if you're going to look at it from a, the standpoint of it's better to let a guilty man go free than put an innocent man in jail, it makes sense to let him in. The, the smoking gun that got in this past year was Ivan Rodriguez. Um, mm. He was mentioned in Jose Canseco's book that basically outed all of this from the get-go. Is this before the Mitchell? The, that the Mitchell? book came out before the Mitchell report. Okay. And and basically... Because the Mitchell report changed... Oh, completely. The game, compl- like no, the no. whole investigation. If it wasn't completely. for the Mitchell report, I don't think any of us would ever know that Andy Pettit tried HGH once. Yeah. Um, so, but the, 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 the fact of the matter is that Jose Canseco, with all of the accusations that he's been making in his book has not once been wrong yet. You know, a lot of people hated Canseco for, for you know, coming out with all this information. When did this book come out? Oh, man, this book came out 
early 2000s? It was in that decade. It was somewhere between 2000 and, and 2010. I can't remember exactly when it came out. I feel like it was like it was close probably, to 2000. Yeah. I would say, because, you know why? Because the, the first congressional hearing Let's look it up. when Mark McGuire kept saying, I'm not here to talk about the past, etc. That was like 2005 or so in that area. So that would make sense. That it would be early 2000s. What was the 2000, name Juiced? Is that the name Juiced of it? Wild Times Rampant Roids? Mm-hmm. 2005. 2005, okay. okay. So we, we pretty much nailed it. So the idea being that he's never been wrong, and he named uh, Rodriguez in the book. Oh, he's only 53. Who, Rodriguez or Canseco? Canseco. Yeah, well, he looks a lot older. Huh. All right, sorry, but, go but ahead. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, the point being that this is the closest that we've had to a direct link to letting a steroid user in, mm-hmm. and now he's in. If you, if you connect the dots and show that Canseco hasn't been wrong yet, you know? Well, yes, and, but, but, but one of the you know, devil's advocate here, but is, there, is it circumstantial evidence? Like, is, there, is there evidence that connects well, Ivan we'll, we'll Rodriguez? Nev- we'll never have a failed drug test because that was not implemented until many moons later. Right. And and he never failed a drug test. But did anyone else corroborate Canseco with with Canseco's? I'm not enti- see. That's the problem is that Canseco's book was so altering of the status the status of the game and the and and what was going on behind the scenes because because he right. pulled that curtain back to reveal the wizard, you know and. He did, and he did it alone. And he did it alone. Yeah. You know, so so he really, like, he went in, he was basically like a whistleblower that for, you know, where people really didn't want that whistle to be blown. And that changed everything. And it, it's it's weird because he did it in such a grotesque way that was very underhanded, uh, Betrayed a lot of people's confidence. You know, there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of backhanded stuff there. So I guess he lost a lot of friends yeah. after that. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that it also, you know, let the public in on a lot of knowledge that they probably had the right to know. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a it's a double edged sword, right? You know, who's right and who's wrong. And now Canseco has kind of been something of a jerk since, you know, and whatnot. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. the The fact of the matter is. We, we really have that question of, are steroid users allowed to be in the Hall of Fame? And, you know, so, so you have the idea of, first of all, do you have the smoking gun? Do you have the failed drug test? Do you have the evidence that, you know, would basically be, you know, uh, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's sort of what I was asking right. before. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's the first, the first step in this argument mm-hmm. is, is, is that. The next part of the argument comes down to the idea of, well, this was just the era in which baseball survived for this, these, these years, from the late 80s until we started the, with the Mitchell Report in, you know, 2007-ish, you know, so, or wherever you want to place, you know, drop the needle in that decade with regard to Canseco's book and the failed drug test. I mean, you could really make an argument anywhere to where that was, that was happening, mm-hmm. Um but that era was very similar to, you know, like the dead ball era or, um, you know, the, 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 the drug era of, you know, not, not performance enhancing drugs, but mm-hmm. like cocaine and things like, you know, there's, there's so many different eras of baseball, mm-hmm. you know, and this was just yet another era. So they said, why should we uh, like neglect our history and not mm. honor them? You know, to which the counter argument to that is, well, you can honor them. You can put up a separate wing in the Hall of Fame to this era, but not right. elect these players to that you into know, the Hall, into of, fame the Hall proper. of Fame. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Which is kind of what they did when I went up there back back in August. You know, they have this large exhibit that kind of timelines baseball and the fads and whatnot that was going through. And there's Mm. a part that's dedicated to that, you know, which was, which was, you know, I think a very, very nice job, nicely done. Mm. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's just a very, it's, it's a complicated question and I don't Mm. know. 
you know, they're a lot. It, everything's so intertwined. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the real issue because then you, then the question is, would these athletes have performed the same way? Right. Without. And that then begs questions or, or arguments such as, well, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he started taking the drugs. Right. So can we still let him in? You know, but it's, well, well, if he was a Hall of Famer before he started taking, why did he decide to start taking? Because he want, he was greedy and wanted even more than he was going to get. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of what, what happened to A-Rod, you know, and, and Roger Clemens. Mm-hmm. I mean, so... So, so you really have to ask, what was the motivation then? If you were a Hall of Famer from the start, why did you decide to go? I mean, is it, it was it just a lust for greatness, a lust for power and money, and you know, and everything else that that comes with that territory? It's a very, it's a very psychological process, right? You know, there's there's so much. You know, there's there's so much that a player needs to think about that an athlete needs to think about, and there's a lot of pressure. Was it just think, the 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 need for a competitive edge? You know, was it or was it the need to continue to perform so that you could continue to earn money and provide I, for your family? I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, believe it or not, I think it has to do a lot with what's going on outside of the sport. Yeah. You know, I think maybe they feel they need to compensate, you know, emotionally, maybe, maybe what they're doing, maybe what they're able to accomplish in the sport, outside of the sport, they can't, there's something mentally they can't cope with. Right. And maybe this is their way of, of kind of escaping, you know, like the, you know, presumably, because remember we talked about a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode that steroids don't only affect the body, they can affect the mind right. too. Right. With the oh, with the curling. That's right. what we were yeah, talking that's about. Right. Yeah. So I think maybe there is something mentally going on outside of their physical performance that maybe they maybe decided, hey, listen, something's not cutting it. Right. I'm doing all I can't physically. Maybe I need something mentally. What what another important part of this too is the use of amphetamines you know Mm -hmm. these greenies and whatnot because what a lot of these players were doing they weren't necessarily taking performance enhancing drugs for the sake of bulking up to try and hit a baseball farther or throw harder or anything Mm -hmm. like that they were taking these these drugs you know as like pick-me-ups because of the grueling nature of the schedule you know, you got to go out there and you got to physically exert yourself day in and day out for six months. You know, they needed that that jolt. Sometimes for longer, exactly. Right? Depending on if you make the playoffs, right? Exactly. So, they needed yeah. that jolt. You know, especially like you know the the old day game after a night game. You know, yeah. if the if the night game finishes at ten o'clock and you still got to do media interviews, shower, any necessary you're not home until one in the morning. If you're lucky, and then you got to be back there at like 10 a.m. for a one o'clock game yeah. the next afternoon. And I don't know about you, but if I get if I walk in the door at one o'clock at night, the odds of me going upstairs and going right into bed and falling asleep are slim. <laughs> it happens once in a while. Yeah. You know? So you got that energy. Exactly. You gotta wind <clears throat> down. You gotta relax. You know, it's, it's just there's just a lot of stuff. I mean, so from that standpoint, I think it's interesting because that kind of leads into the second point that we wanted to discuss today, mm-hmm. and that was the nature of this free agent market and all these players not having jobs and how they're being kind of, for lack of a better term, frozen out of the out of the game and whatnot, uh, and and the reaction that they've been having to this. You know, there's a lot of at the time that we're recording this, there are still a good chunk of free agents out there who do not have jobs for this coming season. They have not mm. signed contracts. And it's getting to the point on their own, not on their own volition. Are are, are teams just? Not... I would say I would say there's some that's about half and half. Okay. Because I think there are some out there who maybe have received like minor league contracts when they feel like they really deserve a major league contract, and okay. there are others out there who have received reasonable major league offers who just think that they can get more money. So okay. there's there's a wide variety of different things that that have been causing this. But the the reason that I think that this has been happening. Front offices are getting smarter. 
Now, sure, there's a lot more going into it with regard to the analytics. There's about how, you know, how we manage the game and things like that. But the idea, I mean, of, of giving these players these big contracts with, worth a lot of money is just, it's dissipating. They're realizing that it's not worth it to give a 30-year-old player who might be a superstar a 10-year contract mm-hmm. because his body is going to start to break down in his late 30s and you're not going to get the bang for your buck in his age 40 season. Right. So there's, so so you might be worth, you might think in a previous life you're worth a 10-year contract, but with the lack of the amphetamines and things like that to help the body keep going, it's just not... It's not there. The well's dry. Right. You know? So that's one of the things that I think feeds into why this has happened. Ultimately, it's come down to the fact that due to, due to the lack of those drugs being available, the, the, the brains that have been coming into realizing that you don't need to overpay for championship caliber teams, the desire of teams to be under the salary tax threshold, and, and so on and so forth, that's why a lot of these big league players don't have jobs. They realize that they can, you know, they can get younger players on the cheap to do just as good of a job for them. They're pulling up from their farm system. Exactly. You know, they might right. say like, you know what? I heard this on the radio Which, the other day. Which, you know, I, again, with the devil's advocate, right? that might be actually kind of a good thing because it gives a chance for the younger players to come up, yeah. you know, you know, but you know, you, you know, the old the old adage buying a championship right. kind of falls by the wayside a right. little bit. But anyway, go ahead. But Sorry. The, I heard this on, I heard this on the radio the other day. The idea that you might have a player who is only eighty five percent of the star pitcher who's still on the free agent market. But if you only want need this guy to be your fifth starter, you mean skill wise, yeah, skill wise, okay. you know. If you you know if you only need him to be your fifth starter, the way that this game is moving now, you'd rather have that player who's eighty five percent of the star pitcher who's available, who you can bring up for the major league minimum of about six hundred thousand dollars that year, and put him in the rotation rather than go out, than go out and sign the free agent to, you know, even if it's a one year deal, a couple million dollars. You're not right. you know th- that extra money is not worth fifteen percent additional value of on-field performance. Especially when you can have more people in your rotation. Right. You know, to kind of, you know, pick up the slack, let's right. say. Right, exactly. The way that bullpens are being built now with, you mm-hmm. know, you only need a starting pitcher to go five innings sometimes, and then right. you start bringing in, an, you know, a different reliever every inning. Right. You know, and that the idea of, of having those power arms. Let me ask you this. What's the max? Is there a maximum number of pitchers that you can have on a team in no, rotation? No, there's, there's, there's really no... Maximum, the you know, the only maximum is the twenty-five man roster. You could stack it with twenty-five pitchers if you wanted to. <laughs> I'd, rec- I'd recommend not doing that, but right. but you will mostly see five or six. You're going to see most. you're going to see a five-man starting rotation, with the possible exception of in some cases, some teams will do a six-man. I know the Boston Red Sox did that for a they while. They did this right? year. You'll see you'll see that happening with the Los Angeles Angels because of their free agent acquisition of Shohei Otani from Japan. Okay, and I believe the Texas Rangers also have said that they were thinking about doing that as well. You is may, there an advantage to that as opposed to the well, five man? Well, rotation? the six man rotation advantage is that you basically give pitchers additional days of rest. They're they're going to be a little bit sharper. But the disadvantage is that pitchers are creatures of habit. They know they're going out there every five days. You don't want pitchers to be too strong sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because then they're not going to have their good control. Right. Um, you know, so it's kind of a you got to figure out it's what's best. Balance. It's very delicate. You got to figure out what's best for that team in that scenario. Hmm. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays have actually talked about going to a four-man rotation this year, which is how it used to be done back in the old days hmm. before we, you and I were even you know twinkles in our father's eyes. <laughs> but you know, this this is back in the day when starting pitchers pitched the whole game. Right. You know, you know, they might pitch a hundred pitches in nine innings and whatnot. I, Nolan Ryan is a huge exactly. advocate of that. Exactly. I know that. But but they were on, on four man rotations. Yeah. You know, just they went to five because they realized that the arms of the pitchers needed to adjust to the way that the the art of pitching was changing. Mm-hmm. You know, pitching used to be back in the days of the four man rotation, it was more about guile. It was more about not the guy from Street Fighter. Uh, you know, it was more about deception. Deception. You know, you, you deceptiveness. 
Deception. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Decepticons. Against you know. with words. Yeah. Reading is hard for you, I know. It is. But the idea is that you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour for every pitch and strike guys out. Right. You're trying to deceive them into swinging through pitches or hitting ground balls. a lot of times better. It's I don't know why. It's completely better. Well, it's because people are obsessed with throwing 100 miles an hour. And so many people are having Tommy John surgery. And what, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, pitching is becoming so ridiculous from that standpoint. So you're going to see that in the rotation. And then now you're going to see bullpens of usually about seven to eight pitchers depending upon the way that the roster is made up. And that usually includes a closer, usually a long man, you know, or who, who can, you know, give you a lot of innings or can like a give, rescue guy. Yeah. Or like a, like mop up duty or mm-hmm. can give you a spot start if necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see some setup guys. You'll see some left-handed specialists or loogies as they're known, which is Southpaws. exactly loogies is an acronym for lefty one out guy. L O O G Lug. Oh, to correspond yeah. with the batter. Exactly. You know, right. when a David Ortiz is coming up, you're going to bring in your lefty late in the game to just face him. He's going to face one guy and his night's done. Congratulations. You're making a, you know, a couple million dollars coming in, throwing four pitches, and that's it. Must be nice. But you, you know? better do your job. If you that's don't. Like- <laughs> yeah. well, but that's the thing, too. Even if you don't do your job, if you get cut by that team, there's another team that's going to pick you up because you have a left arm and you will travel. Right. You know? Yeah. Every, you know, so... And then from there, you know, you're, that's interesting. The, the rest of your roster shapes up as it is, depending upon American or National League, how you like to have your DH set up, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, you're, us- you're looking at usually about a 12 to 13 man pitching staff depending upon how your team stacks up. Okay. Which is so different than how it was many moons ago. Interesting. You know, you were lucky to have maybe 10 guys, 10 pitchers max mm-hmm. in those old days, whether you're talking about the days of the four man rotation or five man rotation. Just because, you know, starting pitchers went deeper. Well, closers weren't a thing either. Well, and right? when closers became a thing in the 70s, you know, like with Goose Gossage, those mm-hmm. guys were pitching three innings at a time for mm-hmm. the save, you know. And and that's one of the things that I think gets Goose Gossage into trouble, you know, because he's got that big blabber mouth and he's constantly saying things where he shouldn't be saying them. He's, you know, I, like people ask him to compare him to Mariano Rivera. And, you know, the, the normal answer is, well, Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time. He's, he's, you can't be compared to him. Mm-hmm. But Goose's answer is, I'm better than him because I pitched longer. I pitched, I, I had to do three inning saves. He only had to do one, you know? So, but it, it's just, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Right. It's just not, it's just not fair. Right. So it's just, I, I, I guess the, the, the point of this part of the argument is teams are smarter. Front offices are smarter, and they're just not going to give out these large contracts to these players just because they think that they deserve them. And players need to adapt to that. Instead, what's happening here, the players are digging their heels in and saying, if you're not giving me what I want, I'm not coming anywhere near this deal. And they're being completely stubborn, hmm. not realizing that they have to adapt here or else they're not going to have jobs. Right. And that's not very sportsmanlike, Mm-mm. you know? I mean, it's pretty clear to me. It's pretty evident to me that... What is the... Uh, sorry to interrupt. No, not what at What does the players' union think of this? Well, the, the, the players' union has been throwing words around like collusion and tanking and, and making some very accusatory claims towards Major League Baseball as a result of this stuff. Now, one wonders if that's if Tony Clark, who's the president of the union, is saying these things just to appease his union members or if he actually believes them. You know, um, because you know you always have the 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 idea the rabble rouser exactly you always got a guy who might be leading the the fray who where he's just like look off the record I I'm with you guys the owners okay but because I represent these guys I have to come out publicly and say it this way you know which is Hmm. neither also unsportsmanlike exactly exactly that's just trying (laughs) you're lying to your constituency you know so I'm not sure what it is but regardless the players association has been very very adamant that they think that this is wrong and the fact of the matter is that i just don't think that they have a leg to stand on here you know you don't you know you i mean you you just let's just break it down 
the guys who don't who did not have jobs either were not top tier guys who you know were worth those larger contracts or who wouldn't accept minor league contracts and had to win jobs or they were guys who got real offers and turned them down thinking they could get more money and that always comes back to bite you but then there's the whole advertising and marketing aspect of this to say you have a superstar on your team that's got to bring you some extra money right Depending I mean, upon the team, yes. You know, like... And also, I forgot this, too, because this is important as well. A lot of these free agents are are tied to draft pick compensation as per the collective bargaining agreement. And what that means, if you're unfamiliar, is that depending upon certain circumstances, the way that these free agents have worked... If a team other than the team that this free agent just played for signs a free agent, depending upon the value of the contract that the, they sign, that that new team would have to forfeit a select number of their draft picks in the upcoming first-year amateur draft. It's hmm. a competitive balance tax, if you will, to say if you're going to sign this guy away from the team that where he came from it's a game within a game you know you, you you're <laughs> gonna you're gonna forfeit x number of picks yeah you know now thankfully they've adjusted it slightly to 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 not be that big of a deal but it used to be along you know the, the game within the game was it was called it was due to the qualifying offer and what happens was you know at the end of the season they would look at the top, all the free agents and they would come up with some rubric where they said the top I forget what the percentage is. Let's say it's 20%. The top 20% of all the free agents, depending upon contract value or uh, you know from the previous year, et cetera, all have, to have the option of being offered a qualifying offer. And the qualifying offer is a one-year deal equal to with the value equal to the, the median, the mean of all of those free agent contracts. So it's like sort of matching? Are they, exactly. They're, they're so, matching like, so like the I think the value? Yeah, of- I think the qualifying offer last year was like, it was like a $17 million contract. So it was like, you can offer this free agent a qualifying offer who's just, who was just been released of his contract from your team. It's a one-year deal for $17 million. If they take it, you have to obviously have that guy back. Maybe you don't want that guy back. Hmm. But if they don't take it and they sign somewhere else, you have to get you get the draft picks from that other team. That equal in value? Exactly. Huh. Now it used to be before this collective bargaining agreement, it used to be you could offer those free agents a qualifying offer every year and it was the first round draft pick if that guy signed with another team. With the exception of the 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 top 10 teams in the draft because those teams were so bad they weren't they, were, they would give them a different pick instead of the top 10. Hmm. But they decided that wasn't fair, and they changed it in this this agreement to say uh, a player can only be offered a qualifying offer once in his career, and if the and then the the qualif- the, the 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 picks that would be forfeited if that player signs elsewhere would de- be dependent upon how large of a contract. So you would have to get. be really good. Right, right. To, to, to be offered this, right. this qualifying offer. You have to. You, it has to make sense like to that team, to superstar say, yeah, level, to say, "Look, we'll offer you a qualifying offer because we think we have a role for you on this team, and we think that your value is such that you are equal to the money that that's equal to this deal." Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 like you said, it becomes a game within a game. Yeah, you know, um, it's just it's just it ha- it's begun to turn the tides in favor of the owners now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the front offices. So to give you an example, Mike Moustakis, the third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, was a free agent. They offered him a qualifying offer. He said no because he thinks he can get a, you know, a, a better deal than one year, 17 million. With another team. With another team. Well, it wasn't until just today, the day that we're recording this podcast, that he finally signed a contract. You know who he signed with? Who? The Kansas City Royals for one year. Nobody else was offering him a contract. He was betting on himself getting this huge payday. And all the front offices said, nope, 
You're not, we, worth we, the... we, you're not worth what we think that you are or what you think you are mm. because we would have to give up draft picks. We'd have to pay you. Right. It's just not, it's not, that's not how it's going to work. Mm. So finally he said, I got to bite the bullet on this. If I want to play, but, you know, they called Kansas City back up and said, you're the only team not tied to draft pick compensation. You got a deal for him? They said one year, $5.5 million. So what he, did he want? He well, I don't know what he wanted. He wanted a ton of more, ton more money and a ton more years. But just look at that compared to the qualifying offer. He could have taken a one year seventeen million dollar deal, and he said no. So, so now they, so they, they, he gets a one year five point so five million dollar exactly. It's 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 kooky. Hmm. It's kooky. So you think he should have taken it to begin with? Well, I mean. In his particular circumstance, I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to go back and look at it specifically. I mean... We go into the whole fallacy of the predetermined outcome, Exactly. Right? And then you also have to consider this, too. These are This is millions upon millions of dollars we're talking about. Right. You know, to the average person like you and me, if someone said to me, hey, you, I'll let you play baseball for one year for $17 million... I'll play for one year and then retire. <laughs> where where do I sign? Where do I sign? You know, so so you know, it's it's kind of it's it's not fair to a certain degree for us to be arguing about it that way from a degree because we're not we're going to be looking at it differently. But the the fact of the matter is the point being that it's just he was betting on himself hmm. and he failed. He lost the bet. Hmm. You know. Now other guys have taken the qualifying offer in the past and they said, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to take this guaranteed money and try and get a better contract next year." Say, so, "You know what? I think I can do better next year if I put up better numbers this season. I'll take a, a qualifying offer one year, 17 million dollars." And they're laughing all the way to the bank. Hmm. So just, that's that's it's a whole other world it really is i mean you know aside from just playing it's really a numbers game it it totally is it totally is and and to kind of bring it full circle here within the confines of our sportsmanship discussion for the players to think that these these teams are not signing them because of whatever reason you can think whatever you want you've got to adapt you can't stick your heels in the ground and say, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Hmm. You know, you get to play a game for a living and you make a, a, a serious chunk of change doing it. Right. Okay, more money than I'll probably ever see in my lifetime. Shut up. Just just <laughs> shut up. Stop stop threatening to strike and things like that. Just, just, just shut up and, and deal with it. Yeah, you know, come back to reality. So, what, go you know, go throw soup at somebody. I mean, that's <laughs> I, it's, I'd rather hear that right now. I really wouldn't. I, no one deserves soup thrown on them, unless it's uh, tomato soup. I love tomato soup. And do you like it thrown on you? Well, let it cool down a little bit first. <laughs> And then, I, I'm sorry. I thought that was implied. Let's let's be real. Yeah. If you're gonna throw soup on someone, let it cool down first. I, I'm I'm so sorry that I didn't think of that. That's I mean, and then I need to be sprayed by a skunk first right, yeah, of before course. that I mean, happens. That's that just that, that was definitely implied, right? So, but any, I think uh, I think we had a good discussion about this. absolutely. You this know? is this has been this is this eye opening, ear yeah, opening, ear opening. I see what you for did our there. listeners. Um, like to remind our listeners, uh, obviously. You can contact the show uh, via email, podcast at osipfoundation.org, facebook.com slash osipfoundation, Twitter is at osipfoundation, hashtag how you play the game. Um, be sure to like and subscribe and review with plenty of stars on iTunes and Podbean and all the other platforms where you can get this. And um, we, hope to, uh, we hope you will join us uh, in the month of April. Which is right around the corner. We gotta get another. We gotta get a third and a fourth person here now that we have our new uh, audio interface. I know. I'm excited I know. I, to I, use gonna, it. We're gonna. We're gonna have to do that. So that's that's on the list of things to do. Yep. So anyway, Sean, thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we will talk to everybody in a couple of weeks. And until then, make sure you treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org. If you're interested in advertising on How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org.